and welcome to episode 10 of React Native Radio. Today on our show, we have Jed Watson. Hey, everyone. Kevin Old. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is Andy Street. Hey there. Andy, uh, before we get started on our topic, uh, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of give us a quick background about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I work at Facebook on React Native in London. I work on the Android side of it. Before I was working on React Native, I started at Facebook actually as a as a web engineer. So I worked on the pages and timeline products. And then, and actually before that, I was working at Microsoft on the Windows kernel as an intern, moved to web programming. And then in 2012, we had this major shift at Facebook where we were focusing on, you know, actually making native versions of our apps because uh, for the iOS and Android the main apps, a lot of it was written using web views, and it wasn't really given a great experience. It was taking forever to load and didn't really feel like the platforms. So we kind of moved a lot of our web engineers over to doing mobile work, and I moved to Android and did that for a couple of years working on pages and search. And then, I guess, about a year, year and a half ago, a little bit less than a year and a half ago, they were looking at starting up the React Native Android team. They are looking for someone to come to London to go work on it, and so I went and did that. And on the React Native Android team, I guess I'm the tech lead on that team. I was one of the first people on the team. And the major areas that I work on are like the bridge, which is kind of similar to what Tadiu works on, uh, except on the Android side, and uh, UI performance. Okay, so you kind of got into Android after being in web. Yeah, well, I had done a little bit of Android, you know, in school, just kind of messing around with it. I didn't really release any popular apps, but I knew a little bit about, you know, what I was doing. But then I definitely actually like learned how to program well in Android, like uh, after I had done web. Yeah. Like, how was the transition going from, well, I know you said that you already kind of knew what you were doing, but kind of going from like a full time web daily day to day to a full time Android? Like, how was that just out of curiosity for other web developers that may be listening? Web, like web development and web development at Facebook is a little bit different. And so is like Android development and Android development at Facebook. Our app at the time that I started working on Android was like when we tried to build it like you would normally build in open source. I think it was like if you just had a standard Android app uh, using IntelliJ, it was taking something like 15 minutes for a incremental build. I think we we're using Gradle at that time. And so it was like a huge change from coming from web where it's kind of like you try something and like if you don't know what you're doing then you know you just keep trying stuff and refreshing and there's not really too much of a cost there and for android it was like being a beginner and trying to learn something like positioning elements or something with some new layout that you hadn't used before was like absolutely awful so it was like a that transition involved a lot of like kind of sitting there and twiddling my thumbs. And fortunately, it meant that like I uh, met up with a lot of the more senior Android developers at the company just because it's like you you need help from other people that know what they're doing. Otherwise, you just waste. I was going to waste so much time like trying to figure out what I was doing by myself. Yeah, that was, that was basically what I was like. It was, it was pretty hellish. So um, did you get into software development? Is it something you studied in school or is it something that you kind of just got into? Uh, I had gotten into it, I guess, when I was like in middle or high school. It was actually, I started programming on the TI-83. I don't know if any of y'all used that back in school, but it was 
being a, I, like, I remember the first thing that I programmed was this, just this little thing where you can move an O like around the screen using the cursor. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. But for a while, I thought I was actually going to do like biology and then something with computer science. I took like a computer science course in high school and like did really well at it and really liked it. So I ended up studying computer science and math in, in university. I remember snake on the TI-83. That's what I remember. Yeah, it was a lot like that, actually. I, there's something so satisfying about like that first time that you get a computer to do what you tell it to do. Like it's, it, yeah, really satisfying. Well, um, our topic today is going to be focused basically on developing in uh, React Native and specifically with Android. But we're also going to kind of go into some of the, I guess, behind the scenes or how that how Android was implemented and, and kind of what you guys went through getting that to work. So I guess we'll uh, start with a question. Um, so when, when you guys started developing React Native, was Android on the, I guess it was, it was kind of something that you guys had in mind, but you guys went ahead and did iOS first and kind of mm-hmm. how did that whole discussion go? So when we were first implementing React Native, I wasn't part of the team at that point, but that was like, I guess Jordan and Christopher and Ashwin, they, like, they knew that it was going to go to, sorry, that's Christopher Shido and Jordan Walk. They, they knew it was going to go to Android at some point, but it's like, if you're going to iterate and try to figure out what the right APIs are for this, like, doing it just on one platform makes so much more sense than trying to implement it on the second platform and iterate on that platform at the same time. So they were kind of looking for APIs that they knew would work on both platforms and, but kind of doing the bare minimum of research there. So it was like, they knew it was going to happen, but that definitely was not a focus. How has it been working that into the same code base? So Android coming into the same, what appears to be React Native code base. They, so the APIs that they made are actually like, were really good. I'm trying to think of some examples. Some of the, some of the cool ones. I really like that we were able to use reuse the CSS layout stuff that Christopher wrote. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that was the JavaScript implementation of like a minimal Flexbox API. And mm-hmm. he had uh, just written, he had like transpiled it to C. And I mean, transpile is kind of a like nice word for it because it was just like a series of regexes. So I was like, oh man, that seems awesome. I'll just create my own series of regexes to turn it into Java code. And we're able to just use the same logic for that on uh, Android as well. I guess the biggest pain point was that at the same time we're trying to implement React Native for Android, React Native for iOS is also, you know, moving to try to open source and doing their own changes and stuff. And at at this point, we are sharing JavaScript code. So one of the first things that we did was uh, like pretty much everything that we wrote for Android had like had some sort of instrumentation test for it. So just making sure that it worked. And then all of those instrumentation tests would run whenever the iOS people committed their JavaScript code and would like block them from landing stuff that broke Android. And if we hadn't had that, then I think we would have spent way longer developing, uh, developing the Android part. Did you feel like you had all eyes on you while you were building Android? I mean, everyone's super keen to get their hands on that first build. Yeah, I was like the uh, amount of excitement in the community was a big motivating factor for me personally, I think for the rest of the team, whereas like everyone was so excited to see it that it like just made you want to keep working on it all the time. But I like it didn't 
I don't think it made me like nervous or anything. If that's what you're you're asking, it was just kind of like a like we were excited about it. Everyone else is excited about like let's do this. Yeah, there was like a timer, a countdown timer. Someone had set up for like the release based on some comment someone had made or something like. That. Yeah, that was. I think Christopher had made it, tweeted about it or or something, given some time, and it, Chris, was, it was like. Chris said, "Give it six months," and everyone took that to heart. Right. Basically. Yeah. It was like, I, I, there's a thread somewhere internally on on Facebook where Christopher is like, "We need to give people a, a date." I think one of us said like three months. I was like, nah, "You should probably double that." So then Christopher said six months. I think he thought that was going to be like more than we needed, but you know, we I guess hit it exactly, which seemed. Good. So what's your perception of how it's been received in the community? Uh, are people using it um, and actually solving the the whole problem with cross-platform development? So are they actually using React Native Android and React Native for iOS in the way that you guys intended? Uh, yeah. I mean, they definitely are. So the, the types of apps that I think React Native is like best suited for right now is like the kinds of apps that we're seeing there. I've been very impressed with the uh, the apps that people have been putting out and also the contributions back that uh, teams have been doing for like if they don't have, uh, you know, support for something that they need. So I think it's like Matthew Arbsfield or I, I'm probably horribly mispronouncing his name, uh, did like some pull, did a pull request kind of recently for, you know, over there updating on, uh, well, something that would support over there updating, um, where you could just load an arbitrary JavaScript file. So just the support that we've had from the community and like they're using it for whatever they, they need it for and edit, like editing it for whatever they need it for. So I've been really impressed with all of that. So this is something that Facebook is using internally as well as something you guys have open sourced. How much extra effort has it been to uh, maintain the open source part of uh, this project, I guess, uh, specifically with Android? I know uh, we've spoken a lot about the project in general, but uh, specifically with Android, how much like manpower, I guess, you, do you guys have kind of working on this? For open source, it's actually like a pretty significant amount of time keeping keeping the builds green and reviewing issues and pull requests. But it's something that we really want to do because I think like one of the greatest strengths of this project, which I completely underestimated when we started talking about open source, is just the community around it and the excitement around it. I, I think it's something that we really need to preserve. So it's the things that I really like about it is that having so many eyes on it means that we get so many great ideas from the rest of the community. Like, And that's part of the reason why React itself has been so successful. People are doing all these interesting things that you know we wouldn't have thought of necessarily or we like maybe wouldn't think of for a really long time. Examples would be like the hot loading stuff that... Who did the hot loading stuff? Dan Abramov, I think? Yeah, uh, Dan Abramov. Yeah, the React hot loader, like, that's like mind-blowing. A lot of the stuff is like pushing... I really think pushing the industry to places it hasn't been before. And I'm really excited to see that happen with React Native as well, like it's been happening for React itself. But as far as the amount of time it takes for maintaining open source, we've right now got on the Android side, Martin Konacek, who's like done a really great job with kind of being the face of React Native Android, who's like, that's pretty much all he does is like reviewing pull requests, 
working on open sourcing new views. Like we open source kind of a minimal set of what we have internally to something that would like allow people to start writing some apps. But there's been like tons of requests for things like the art views that they have on iOS, various features that they have on iOS. The iOS project has just existed for like a year and a half longer than the Android one. So that's just like been a full-time job. And he's actually, I think, getting a new person too. Uh, So we'll have two people working on that. That's cool. How long has the project been around for um, before it got open source? What was the lead time? Did you start working on it in January when it was announced or like after before Uh, that? No, we had, so for the Android version, we started working on it in August of 2014. So a little bit over a year ago. And the iOS version, I don't remember exactly when that was. I think that was like another year and a bit before that. That was, it started as one of Facebook's, you know, how we do these hackathons, which are basically, uh, you know, this overnight coding session where you work on something that isn't necessarily related to your job. I think either Jordan or Christopher had the idea of rendering native applications using React, and they just... Uh, hacked up a prototype that night and then presented it. And then it got, you know, I think it went in front of Zuck and Zuck was like, yeah, we should invest in this. And so they started working on that full time. But they got that prototype, I think, first came into existence in like early 2013. I know you had talked about the 15 minute development, the compilation of the Java project. Is that one of the main like problems that you guys were kind of seeing in the native space or like what other like positive things are you guys kind of seeing out of react native in general like in in, internally so it's it's not just the compilation so the compilation has gotten a lot better than 15 minutes it's still not amazing i think it's probably more around the you know like 30 seconds to 60 seconds or something like that depending on what you change and there's actually been a lot of really interesting work that people have done internally with our our build system to like not actually have to rebuild the whole APK on Android, which is the the application binary and just like ship deltas over the USB cable and stuff. But the primary benefits I think have just been like we had in so the first of all the people that can work on these projects. So it's like is is actually very hard to get Android and iOS engineers. And we had we've had like, you know, for the since 2012, we've been trying to hire specifically Android and iOS engineers to work on on our apps. And it's always been kind of a place where we can never get enough. And with React Native being able to bring in people like new hires who have only done web development and have them go and, for example, uh, someone implemented like inline comments for the groups app that has its feed written in React Native. And they wrote that without iOS or Android knowledge and when they wrote it, they like wrote it on iOS and it just, you know, worked on Android. Whereas I think with, we also have a version of groups written in, in native Android from before. And that one just doesn't have inline comments. And when they added inline comments on iOS, you know, that doesn't magically add itself to, to Android. So those two things are really important. They kind of have these compounding effects too. So it's like by having the whole team just focused on like the individual engineers are focused on features. They can work kind of closer together. They're not as segregated by the platforms that they work on. That's from my experience, kind of a problem that we've had on every team that I've worked on where the iOS engineers and the Android engineers, because 
they're not reviewing each other's patches and they're not like they don't discuss necessarily the technology that they're implementing things with because they're implementing on top of two different stacks. They're not really as close as they could be. But when you have these teams that are just developing using a single language and technology stack, then there's a lot more sharing that happens. And I've just seen the teams work more closely together. So there's a lot there. You mentioned sharing code. What percentage of code would you say is shared? To my knowledge, we've only done, we've only like done that analysis on the ads manager app. We, we probably did on the groups app. I don't know the number though. With ads manager, I think it was like 85% of the code was shared. And that's mainly because like with, with that kind of app where it's just kind of content views and stuff and the content views don't really change depending on the platform. Uh, it's like Dads Manager app, if you're not familiar with it, it's just like an app that lets you manage your Facebook ads. It has a list of the ads and campaigns that you're currently running, and then it will give you like a, a graph, a visual graph of like how they're performing and let you edit them and stuff. And a lot of those flows are the same on both platforms. It's just maybe in some places you show a dialogue that's styled for iOS, and in some places you show a dialogue that's styled for Android. Or maybe in some places you have like a scroll view that refreshes by, you know, you like pull it down and on iOS, the scroll view like bounces and the refresh indicators kind of lives at the very top. Whereas on Android, it like kind of appears over top of the, of the scroll view. So they're like all these little things that make the app feel native to that platform, but the core of the logic of the app is mostly the same. So for I remember for Ads Manager, it's like 85%. I would expect it's probably around the same for groups because that is may, maybe even more shared code there, actually, because you know the general concept is the exact same for both of them. Certainly. Yeah, I think I know from my company, moving to React and React Native, the, the whole idea is just to be able to reuse a lot of the code that does that binding behind the scenes with whatever it is, the network or just the logic in general, and then leave this, the specifics to the device to react. Um, mm-hmm. What is that? So you mentioned 85% for the AdWords, but what is that concept? Um, is that a big part of what you guys do at Facebook is, and with React is as much reuse as possible? Is there emphasis on that or is that just something that's not really uh, focused on? Uh, yeah, so our, the catchphrase that I guess we've, we've said a lot is this like learn once, write anywhere as opposed to write once, run anywhere. Right, Um, right. Yeah. And so we've, I think to, in order to like the whole write once, run anywhere has like a pretty negative stigma, I think in the community. And we've wanted to kind of air on the opposite side of like, I, I would say maybe we've overcorrected in the whole learn once right anywhere thing. Cause there still are benefits to sharing this code and we are able to share a lot of things. So I won't say that it's like not an emphasis, but I would say a higher priority is being able to build apps that feel native for the platform. And with react native, we can luckily do that while still sharing a large amount of code. So I guess we'll go into the, the actual development for like, people that are going to be kind of using the project. I guess getting started with the Android build, if you're kind of been used to the iOS, say that you've already built like an app or something, and then you're kind of just jumping into the Android part. Um, what like differences are there, like as far as the API and stuff goes? 
So the JS APIs should generally be the same. I mean, they are, they are the same for the most part, I guess. So the best place to look there is really the uh, website that we have set up. They kind of list some of the differences between iOS and Android. Some of, some of these things are like, you know, differences that we're currently working on. They're differences that shouldn't exist and won't exist long term. So like an example is, I think right now for when you like measure a view, the on Android, it's like measured relative to, uh, like the parent view and on iOS is like relative to the screen or something like that. So there are some places where we're still working on getting rid of the differences between the platforms, but it should feel, you know, very similar. Yeah. So with React Native for Android, you have to set up the SDK and um, additional tooling. What are you guys doing to address that uh, versus how easy it is to jump into React Native for iOS? Uh, I don't think that, we have any like immediate plans to work on that. Like we know it's painful, but like there's a lot of stuff that we're currently working on. So pe- people are asking for uh, us to open source a lot of our uh, view types that we haven't yet open source. Asking for feature parity with iOS. Um, I imagine there's something we can do with like allowing people to download some sort of package that would include the. IDE and Gradle and the SDK and maybe like Jenny Motion or something, but I don't know if there would be like licensing issues with that or anything. I, I'm not sure. Do you guys have ideas? We'd love to hear them. Well, I don't necessarily have ideas. I, I do wonder if that is one of the areas that Dan um, Abramov is going to be focusing on since he's joined Facebook. I would think that it, this would be Martin who would be focusing on this actually. Okay. Okay. And the only uh, reason I bring that up is that he tweeted that he would be working on uh, React Native tooling, um, much like the tooling that uh, you know everyone is aware of. He built the Re- uh, Redux Dev Tools and yep. uh, things like that. So he's now, and actually, he tweeted that he would be starting with Facebook today, yesterday. So, yep. so I just wondered if that would, if his work would be in there or not. Yeah, that's. I think that's really exciting. So some of the things that I think he's more going to be working on is maybe stuff related to the hot loader. And this is like pure speculation on my part because I haven't actually talked to him about what he's interested in, in working on. But sure. uh, stuff with the hot loader, stuff with um, you know saving saving state uh, more persistently. So uh, on uh, on the web, you have you know like with React Router and stuff like that, you can address you know parts of of a website, we don't really have that so much for our React Native apps right now. Uh, being able to reload and have it actually stick you on the place where you were before would be like a huge productivity win for people. So I, I would really love to see him work on that kind of stuff. I'd love to see to have like some of the hot loader work, like hot loading for uh, JavaScript modules, but also hot loading for native modules. If you add a dependency, you don't have to like recompile the iOS or Android app and just have it kind of appear for you. So I think that's maybe more in line with the kind of stuff that he would be working on, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's probably very, um, hot on his radar. So no pun intended. (laughs) So getting into what we were just talking about, like what, what exactly do you have to have on your machine to, to develop in, in Android with React Native? Uh, I think right now you need to have, uh, the SDK, 
um, probably the NDK. I'm not sure if they. So SD, the NDK is the Native Development Kit. That's what uh, you have to have to compile C++ code, which is how we interface with JSC, which is our uh, JavaScript runtime. Um, and Jenny Motion is the emulator of choice for most Android developers, and unless you're going to use an Android phone for all of your development, which I probably wouldn't recommend, uh, and this, for the same reason you don't use an iOS physical phone for all of your iOS development, you need to have Jenny Motion. And if you want to edit Android, like the actual Java code that's associated with the project, like if you want to edit a, a native module or something, you would probably want to install IntelliJ. I'm not sure how much more of that that is then uh, the I, for iOS, which requires installing Xcode, I guess. But then Xcode comes with the simulator. They kind of have it all as a nice bundle deal. Yeah. So is IntelliJ like the uh, IDE of choice, or, or what are the options there? Yeah, it's pretty much IntelliJ is the IDE of choice. There, Google also supports an IDE called Android Studio, but it's actually built on top of IntelliJ anyway. So, okay. And this is for like native. Java code. This is, I don't recommend this for editing JavaScript. Uh, if you're only editing JavaScript, then you don't really need these IDEs. So could you use something like Sublime Text or something like that, I guess, if you're just doing the JavaScript development for uh, React Native? Yeah, I use, I use Sublime. So something I'm curious about, we've, we've got a project on at the moment with this client who originally came in looking for a, a hybrid app because they wanted it cross-platform. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's sort of somewhere between an app and a game, and we were looking at the user interface that they want us to implement, and we thought it's probably going to be a much better fit for a React Native app. Uh, and this was going back a couple of months, I think sort of probably five months into Chris's give us six months timeline, uh, and the, <laughs> uh, the, counter, the counter was still live, and there were rumors that there was an event coming up that Android support, uh, React Native for Android might be released at, uh, very quiet rumors. But um, basically, I was like, look, I think we should take a risk. Um, the iOS platform was really solid from day one and, and got better really quickly. And they were kind of skeptical. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a new thing. It hasn't been tested. There's always issues with the early releases. And now that it's out, it's, I guess, kind of had the predictable response. I mean, everyone got really excited and then you know, started using it and, and there's been sort of mixed feedback about performance and stability and things like that. But it's here and it works and it's improving really quickly. And it, it seems like the trajectory is kind of similar to the trajectory that iOS had in the early days once it was first open sourced. What I'm curious about is, I mean, knowing it inside out as you do, would you recommend to someone to actually start a, a sort of production app in Anger? on android or would you say give it a few more months to mature before you like take a big risk on it where, where is it at in specifically the open source uh version of mm-hmm. it that you guys uh, published? yeah so i would say that it it depends on the app that you're working on and how much you're willing to dig into the framework to try to maybe fix things yourself i'd say like the biggest focus point for the team right now is on perf and that's like on startup perf that's on uh ui performance there's a lot of stuff that you know for android ui performance that you more get for free on on ios and that's partly because apple has targeted a single hardware platform like a single gpu they work very closely with 
to people who write the drivers. They have like that single, I think it was it, uh, Imagination does all of their GPUs. And so they write specific drivers that do special optimizations for the iPhone. Android was kind of written to target a large number of pieces of hardware. And it was also originally written to not even necessarily require a GPU. So it still supports software rendering. Whereas like iOS was written to uh, always require hardware rendering. I would say that we're still trying to get you know Android UI performance to where it's great by default. Uh, I think right now people, like for our internal apps, we're able to get it great, but we also it also has required a bit of like actually having people who know what they're doing, being able to look at SysTrace. I published a, I guess, article or guide on the React Native uh, website that kind of doc- that documents like how to uh, use SysTrace, which is this tool that's actually used for profiling JavaScript and Chrome to see what your app is doing at any point in time uh, on the JavaScript thread and on the main thread. And being able to look at that and see, like, where are my hiccups actually coming from? If that's not something that you want to be willing to do or, or learn, then maybe you should wait a few months, I guess. We're trying to make it better. We want it to be great by default, and I think we can make it great by default. I've, I've got a lot of faith in you guys. That I'm not trying to ask you the hard questions. Um, I guess to put a bit more context around that for anyone who's listening and thinking of starting a project, I mean, you say a few months, like what kind of differences are we talking here uh, for people listening? Is it sort of, are we at 80% of where you'd like it to be? Um, you know, is it a bit, does it need a bit more work than that? Or uh, what, I would, what should people expect at the moment? So I think we're like, we're probably about like 75% of the way, like 75% where I want us to be, but there's like a lot of low hanging fruit optimizations that we can be making. And like I said, the internal focus for the entire team is on performance right now. Like, as you might imagine, our internal Facebook apps have very high standards for performance. We like see if we add, you know, a hundred milliseconds to startup time for some feature that, you know, engagement with it drops off by like X percent. And when it's, you know, hundreds of millions of people using it, that's a significant amount. And since a lot of teams, you know, internally are looking at React Native to build new versions of their products, one of the things that they're asking us is like, okay, we need to be able to make sure that we have the same performance, like the same startup time, et cetera, that we had before. So I think in that realm, like some of the community concerns and like our own internal, what we're working on are very well aligned. So, yeah. I think one of the really nice things about building on open source platforms that Facebook publishes is, you know, you know that Facebook's using them in production and that they've actually been tested at that kind of scale. And, you know, if, if we've got problems with them, then you've probably got problems with them and you're really probably working on fixing those problems up for your own reasons, as well as, as community drivers. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's cool to hear that they line up. When you say yeah, uh, and I, you, I would also say the advice that I give other people it, within the company and outside the company when they ask this is, uh, we've got the Ads Manager app that is in the Play Store and it's on the App Store. If you want to see what a React Native app that was built for both platforms feels like, download that and you know play around with it and see if it meets your needs. Like if you're building something like that, then definitely go for React Native. So on that note then, um, I mean, have you guys got any magic running behind the scenes that it might be hard for someone without uh, your experience 
to recreate um, just from what's been published? Or, you know, is it a, a fairly vanilla implementation of React Native for Android? There's definitely things that we've done that are, you know, like a bit special. All of it is open source, though. So you can kind of like look at look at what we've done. Some of the optimizations that we've done are uh, around like the three main ones I would talk about are like event coalescing. So if you're doing like a bunch of scrolling and you're delivering scroll events to the JS thread faster than it can deal with them, then it will only send the uh, it'll only send JS the latest one. Same with like touch move events, and we've kind of got a configurable system for that. That's helped a lot. Some of it has been just really looking into what exactly is going on on the phone at any point in time. This is especially important for like animations and gestures, and making sure that you're giving yourself as much of the full frame as possible. So uh, on Android, this means using Choreographer. On iOS, this is using something called Display Link, which basically tells you when a V-Sync for the screen has happened, so when it has just displayed a new frame and is ready to start drawing another frame. So I, I don't know if I'd consider that magic, but that's kind of some of the low-level optimizations that we've done. And then we've also done some work around taking layout-only views that aren't contributing to anything that's actually drawn on the screen and making sure that they don't actually contribute to the to the native hierarchy. I'm trying to think of if we're doing other magical stuff. There's there's some stuff actually around on Android when you do when you set alpha on a view or on text, it'll have to do off-screen rendering of that text and then composite it back onto the screen which is actually very expensive for the GPU. So that basically means it'll draw your screen without that view or that text. And then it'll move that screen off into like slow memory on the GPU. Draw the thing that's supposed to be alpha, so have some sort of opacity. And then have to pull that the screen that I'd drawn before back from slow memory back into main fast memory and composite this thing on it. And that's like a really easy way to drop frames. And that's something that we disabled by default, which Android does not disable by default. iOS had actually disabled that by default up until I think like iOS eight or nine. So I guess maybe that some of that stuff is a bit magical. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good thing to know. Is, is there a sort of repository of, um, tricks like this that you guys have learned or for me it's just been a lot of stuff that uh i've learned from being a working on android at facebook in general there's a bunch of really great stuff that both apple and google puts out around how to write performant apps i know i've like used a lot of the work that roman has has done for on android he's done a lot of performance case studies where it's like we had this poor performance on this app, and here's how we dug in and found out what it was. The main difference, I would say, between some of the stuff that he does or like what I want to make better from seeing what Google is doing is they put a lot of onus on the developers to go and figure a lot of this stuff out. Like They've chosen to make the default not performant for something like Alpha, and then people are getting bitten by it, and their response is to... Uh, put out, you know, a guide on how to debug it as opposed to making it just work better by default, I think. Um, and they're, I, like, I'm not trying to attack Google, but they're just places that I think we can do better in our development, uh, like our development experience. So when you say, you know, be comfortable sort of hacking on the platform itself, um, you, you mean Android 
development in general, right? Uh, not so much the JavaScript portions of React Native. Well, I just mean like, so using SysTrace is get, kind of start as an Android tool. tool. We actually, Tadiu wrote uh, kind of a polyfill for it on iOS. This is a tool that might tell you that your performance issues are in you know, native code, or they might tell you that they're actually in JavaScript and that you're doing something really expensive. So I more mean like digging, being willing to use those kind of tools, which I guess is maybe less expected if of you as a web developer, maybe. I know I, as a web developer, I like in trying to make performant web apps, I also w- would look into that kind of stuff, but it just seems kind of less expected. Yeah, and that's, that's, I think that's really good to know going in. I mean, we do have uh, tools like that evolving in the web development environment, but um, I guess they're, they're certainly more mature in the native platforms, and it's good to get your hands dirty a bit with the tools that native developers use. Right. Right. Um, and I, I mean, like, if people are hitting those kinds of those issues where things aren't performant by default, like, we want to see GitHub issues so that we can fix it for everyone as well. Cool. Something else I was curious about is um, how did you go about architecting the Android version of React Native? Was it, you know, a fairly straightforward parallel to the work that had been done on iOS, or did you have to take a step back and really, you know, come at it a bit differently in terms of solving the same problems for a different platform? There are a lot of places where it is very similar. So is um, just having JavaScript run in one thread, having a UI thread that's separate, and having you know basically multiple event loops were things that we did on both iOS and Android. Uh, and we both kind of came to the decision that those were good ideas separately. So like when we were going and working on the Android part, like we weren't married to doing everything the exact way that iOS had done it. Like we wanted to figure out whatever made sense for Android. And it kind of turned out that a lot of the decisions that they made on iOS also ended up making sense for Android. So you'll see very similar threading models. Like I was saying, the multiple event loop structure, uh, the same kind of uh, serializable communication between JavaScript and native. Yeah, I, I think, Todd, you talked about some of that stuff with the bridge, right, last week? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, is there uh, is there any other questions anyone wants to throw in there before we wrap this up? Or Andy, is there anything that you kind of think that we should talk about that we haven't really gone over? I would really recommend watching some of the talks that we've given if you haven't already watched them. I know Martin has a really good one. They did recently talking about some of the internals of uh, React Native for Android and also some of the work that's been involved in open sourcing it and what our open source like workflow has been since we open sourced it. Uh, I think that's really interesting. He talks about a ton of different topics. I think that was given at, I forget what the conference, I think it was the Reactive Conference in like Prague or something like that, but I, I think it's on YouTube or on Martin's Twitter. I would just highly recommend checking that out. Um, cool, yeah, we'll definitely try to come up with a couple of those links and put them in our notes. Um, one other thing, as far as the open source community is uh, concerned, like what are the most um, needed parts of people that people can kind of contribute to as of right now that you guys are kind of needing help help on, I guess, by, from the community? I think the, the things that we need the most help with are some of the parity issues between the platforms. I think those are the things that are kind of the, been the biggest pain to people. So if there are things that 
our community, they're the biggest pain to the community. So if the community helps fix it, they're helping fix it for, you know, everyone else in the community. We're also trying to work on some of these things, but like grab an issue, uh, that you see that's open related to this and like, we'll review the pull request. Like we love that kind of work. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the, the biggest, the biggest thing. Okay, cool. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and get, uh, jump to the picks. Um, Jed, would you like to go first? Yeah, um, my pick this week would have to be the Getting Started with Redux tutorial series that Dan Abramov just published to egghead.io. Um, if you haven't had a chance to learn Redux yet, or even if you have, it probably takes about two hours to go through all 30 videos, and they're fantastic. It, it's, a, it's a great framework and a great learning resource, so that would be my pick. Kevin? Uh, my pick's going to be also related to Redux, but uh, James Long uh, had a post this past week um, called A Simple Way to Route with Redux, and um, essentially he bypasses um, uh, a lot of what the um, uh, other routers have and things that are on top of React Router have done, and he, he uh, has a, a Redux simple router uh, that offloads all the work to, um, to React Router. Um, sorry, it's hard to keep them all uh, this, uh, in, in sync when they have the same name. But um, it's an interesting post. I'm not necessarily sure if I'll use it, but uh, it's interesting read. Um, and the other uh, post I have is uh, n- not really tech-related, but uh, it's called um, a sec- The Secret Power of Read It Later Apps. And um, it's an interesting read about um, how we uh, we – Instapaper and pocket everything, but we hardly ever go back and, and read them. And, uh, you know, just dealing with the information overload we have today. So that's it. Okay. Um, my picks are going to be uh, the first one is the material design components that were put out for React Native. Um, the repo is by Ben, uh, ben Zhao, um, but it's really cool. So it allows you to kind of implement some of the material design stuff into uh, React Native with some preset styling. Uh, the second uh, pick is the book Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. Um, I'm about, I guess, 20% into it so far, so I'm not done with it, but um, it's actually really cool, and um, I'm enjoying it, and it kind of opens your mind up to a lot of other stuff that might, can be done with other languages that you're not really aware of, I guess. Um, and my last pick is actually Legoland and the Legoland Hotel. I'm going to be going there with my family, and I haven't been there, but from everything I see, the the rooms look really cool. If you have kids, they have like Lego themed rooms and stuff. So I would uh, recommend checking that out. There's one in California, and there's one in Florida, and I believe there's a few in in Europe. Um, so that's about it. Um, Andy, I guess I'd probably have two picks. So they're kind of higher level than I think the the ones you had but uh so the first one would be Radio Lab which is probably one of my favorite podcasts um and they just talk about uh interesting developments in in science and then like really get into what what the implications might be so an example is recently they kind of talked about how some local governments are now hiring companies to kind of fly drones over the city and take a photo every second and then when they when there's like a crime or something they can 
locate the crime and then kind of play time backwards and see where did the person come from, where did they end up going afterwards. Um, they've also done stuff. They had a whole episode about taking this one poem that was written in French and having like a hundred different people translated into English. And all of the poems that resulted were all like different and tried to capture different pieces of the poem as it existed in French. So it's a really great podcast. And then probably second is one of my favorite books is Flow by uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. I, I, there's no way I'm going to say his last name right. But uh, it's, a, uh, it's a book that kind of talks about what about the flow state that you can kind of get into. I bet as programmers, a lot of you have, have felt that where it's like, you just kind of get in the zone uh, and you're creating something and the world kind of doesn't exist outside of that. And it's like, what does it mean to be in that state and uh, how do you get into that state more often and stuff like that. So, Awesome. Yeah, I just uh, subscribed to Radiolab after hearing that. That looks really cool. I'm looking forward to, to listening to those. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Andy, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your day to join us. It's been really, really interesting. No problem. That was great talking to you all. All right, well, that wraps up episode 10 of React Native Radio. We'll talk to you guys next week.